Greetings. This is Roger Kimball. I'm the editor of the New Criterion, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to the May 2019 issue of the magazine that John O'Sullivan, with his customary understatement, called the best cultural review in the world. In May, we have many amazing pieces that you will want to read. We lead off with an essay by Andrew Roberts, the great British historian. It's a version of the speech that he gave at the New Criterion's Edmund Burke Gala. It is a terrific speech. It's called Churchill's Debt to Burke, and you won't want to miss it. Other features include Robert Messenger on Philip Larkin's letters. It's a terrific piece about maybe the most loved British poet of the second half of the 20th century. There's another piece by Pat Rogers on Dr. Johnson and Boswell and the literary club that they inhabited. And finally, a terrific piece by Laura Jacobs, who I think without doubt is our best dance critic. She has a terrific piece on the City Ballet. You won't want to miss it. That's by way of preview. Now I'd like to read you the notes and comments from our May 2019 issue. The first is called Massive Retaliation, Only Answer. Attentive readers will recall our comments on offense archaeology in this space in our December 2018 issue. This new discipline conducted not only in academic institutions, but also in the media, so-called social media, and the other kind, picks a politically suspect figure and then trawls through his work for expressions of impermissible attitudes and heterodox opinions. The results of this literary archaeology are then disseminated in tones of manufactured moral outrage in an effort to destroy the career or otherwise harm the object of the campaign. Among the instances we mentioned in December was the case of the English philosopher Sir Roger Scruton, probably the most wide-ranging and important public intellectual in the Anglophone world today. He is the author of over 50 books, many works of philosophy and intellectual history, but also fiction, and see Daniel J. Mahoney's review of his short stories in the May issue. Memoirs and books on oinology, fox hunting, Islam, and other subjects. He has written several operas. He has taught at major universities in the United States and in England. In the 1980s, he worked to keep the flickering flame of freedom alive in Soviet-controlled Eastern Europe by helping to organize an underground network of academic dissidents, an activity for which he was arrested and deported from Czechoslovakia, as it then was and later awarded the Czech Republic's Medal of Merit First Class by President Václav Havel. In other words, Sir Roger Scruton, he was knighted in 2016, is about as accomplished a public intellectual as it is possible to be. He is also an outspoken political conservative, a contingency that has long made him a target of leftist obloquy. When he was appointed last November by the Ministry of Housing, Communities, and Local Government, as the unpaid chairman of a new public body to champion beautiful buildings, the attacks from politically correct journalists and politicians came thick and fast. The offense archaeologists went to work excavating the extensive library of Sir Roger's writings and public statements. 
Nobody holding the views that Scruton holds has a place in modern democracy, scurled one Labour MP. The Prime Minister needs finally to show some leadership and sack Scruton with an investigation into how he was appointed in the first place. Quoth another, with every passing hour, it becomes clear that Roger Scruton has a history of making offensive comments. It beggars belief that he passed a vetting process. In December, we noted it was not quite clear whether the campaign against Roger Scruton would succeed. It was vicious, but his response was as brilliant as it was amusing. First, he showed that two could play the game of pretending to be offended. Quote, I have been offended and hurt, he said in a public statement, by suggestions that I am an anti-Semite or in any way Islamophobic. Sir Roger's second response was even more amusing. Rather than apologizing for his opinions, he reveled in them. He announced that he was compiling a publicly available compendium of potentially offensive things that he has said or written over the years so that his inquisitors might savor the full spectrum of his offensiveness without undue labor. Noting that his opinions on topics as various as hunting, marriage, pop music, Israel, sex, gender, identity, and the nation-state, quote, diverge shockingly from those of the Guardian. He helpfully culled offending snippets from his work to provide his critics with the necessary evidence of criminal thinking in easily digestible form. We said at the time that by standing up for himself instead of apologizing, Sir Roger might succeed in embarrassing his tormentors. Whether he would be able to also disarm them, we noted, was less certain. Now we know the answer. It is no. For several years, Sir Roger wrote an engaging column about wine for the left-leaning magazine, The New Statesman. Those columns form the basis of his book, I Drink, Therefore I Am, and I recommend it heartily. It's a very amusing book. So when the magazine's deputy editor, George Eaton, asked to interview him, Sir Roger did the collegial thing and agreed. Eaton proceeded to publish an interview that shockingly misrepresented what Scruton had said about Islam, George Soros, and the Chinese, ripping phrases out of context and distorting his meaning by tendentious editing. He then dribbled out bits from this farrago on social media, embellishing the lot with editorial comments about how outrageous Sir Roger's opinions were. For example, Eaton said that Sir Roger argued that, quote, each Chinese person is a kind of replica of the next one. That is a very frightening thing. What Scruton actually said was that the Communist Party of China was, quote, creating robots out of their own people by so constraining what can be done. Each Chinese person is a kind of replica of the next one. And that is a very frightening thing. Note the difference. Sir Roger was talking about the CPC, the Communist Party of China. Eaton made it seem that he was talking about the Chinese people. Eaton said that he merely edited the quote, quote, for reasons of space in the print edition. The last word about that disingenuous gambit comes from our friend Titania McGrath, nay Andrew Doyle, the Twitter sensation whom readers will remember from our April issue. Citing Sir Roger's observation from his book, Modern Philosophy, that, quote, a writer who says that there are no truths, or that all truth is, quote, 
merely relative, end quote, is asking you not to believe him. So don't. McGrath comments, OMG, if you delete 85 of the letters in this Sir Roger Scruton quote and rearrange the remaining 11, he is actually saying, I love Hitler. I'm not misquoting, I'm just editing it for reasons of space. You gotta hand it to Tanya McGrath. Eaton's disgusting attack worked. James Brokenshire, the spineless housing minister, immediately jettisoned Sir Roger from his honorary position. A spokeswoman for the pathetic government of Theresa May backed him up, describing Sir Roger's comments as, quote, deeply offensive and completely unacceptable. The new statesman proceeded to do a little victory dance. Patrick McGuire, the magazine's political correspondent, emitted a few crowing tweets and wrote a column justifying Scruton's sacking. And the miserable wretch George Eaton celebrated by posting a picture of himself on Instagram, swigging champagne from the bottle. The caption read, quote, the feeling when you get right-wing racist and homophobe Roger Scruton sacked as a Tory government advisor, end quote. Eaton has since deleted the embarrassing, though character-revealing post, but readers may see it in the online version of this column. This sorry and despicable episode is full of lessons. Douglas Murray, in an excellent article for The Spectator, lays out what it says about the craven individuals who populate the Tory party. In nine years, Murray asks, what have the conservatives managed? Nothing, or almost nothing. They pat themselves on the back for their heroism in a single successful appointment, that would be Scruton's, only then to reverse and retreat when a left-wing magazine pumps inaccurate quotes onto social media. Roger Scruton himself, also writing in The Spectator, dilated on the implications of this gutter political ambush for British social life more generally. We in Britain, he notes, are entering a dangerous social condition in which the direct expression of opinions that conflict, or merely seem to conflict, with a narrow set of orthodoxies is instantly punished by a band of self-appointed vigilantes. We are being cowed into abject conformity around a dubious set of official doctrine and told to adopt a worldview that we cannot examine for fear of being publicly humiliated by the censors. Indeed. Which is why we applaud the historian Neil Ferguson's suggestion in the Times of London that the new vigilantes shutting down debate in the West are direct descendants of the, quote, illiberal egalitarian ideology that once suppressed free speech in Eastern Europe. The lesson of the Cold War, Ferguson writes, is clear. From now on, an attack on one of us must be considered an attack on all of us. I therefore invite all who believe in the fundamental human freedoms to sign a new non-conformist academic treaty. Where do we sign? The present danger, Ferguson went on, to free thought and speech is not Red Army tanks pouring through the Fulda Gap in Germany. It is the Red Army of mediocrities waging war on dissent 
within academia and the media. It is time to confront these people with the one thing that will deter them, as it once deterred the Soviets, massive retaliation, to which we say, Amen. Our second note is a memorial to the writer Paul Hollander, who died last month. The Hungarian sociologist Paul Hollander died last month at the age of 86 at his home in Northampton, Massachusetts, after a brief illness. Paul, who over the years wrote some two dozen pieces for the new criterion, his last was a letter from Romania in November 2018, fled Budapest on foot with only the clothes on his back in 1956 during the brutal Soviet oppression of the short-lived Hungarian Revolution. He eventually made his way to the United States and took a PhD at Princeton in the early 1960s. Paul was a prolific writer of books as well as intellectual journalism. He will be remembered especially for two long works that have been published in several editions. Political Pilgrims, which first appeared in 1981, provides an exhaustive anatomy of Western intellectuals' romance with totalitarian regimes from Cuba and Vietnam to the Soviet Union and Mao's China. Anti-Americanism, first published in 1992, is a kind of companion study that exposes the curious hostility that the world's most generous country has elicited not only from its foreign beneficiaries, but also from its own intellectuals. A couple of tidbits from Susan Sontag epitomize both the intensity of the romance and the fury of the hostility. Traveling to Vietnam in 1967, Sontag acknowledged that her account tended to idealize the country. Nevertheless, she insisted, she had found it from direct experience to be a place which in many respects deserves to be idealized. The Vietnamese, she continued, are whole human beings, not split as we are. Then there is the fury against America. Quote, a small nation of handsome people is being brutally and self-righteously slaughtered by the richest and most grotesquely overarmed, most powerful country in the world. America has become a criminal, sinister country, swollen with priggishness, numbed by affluence. As Paul noted with his usual understatement, and as this passage from Sontag exemplifies, quote, anti-Americanism implies more than a critical disposition. It refers to critiques which are less than fully rational. Paul Hollander recognized in his adopted country a beneficent alternative to the brutal communist regime he had fled. He devoted his life to cataloging the folly of intellectuals who, though priding themselves on their sophistication and higher virtue, regularly fell prey to the blandishments of utopian promises and ended up complicit with some of the most horrific regimes in history. Everyone who values individual freedom and the rule of law is in his debt. Requiescat in pace.